The programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. Good evening. Uh, you're listening to Very Loose Women, and today we're going to be doing the show on rituals of rites of passage. So maybe a bit of rituals and a bit of rites of passage. Right now you're listening to music from a small island in Papua New Guinea called Bougainville, and today we've got with us someone who's been spending a few months there, um, Tom, who's going to be talking about a menstruation ritual that he witnessed. So we're just going to listen to the end of the song. So, um, that was... How would you pronounce that, Tom? Uh, I can't actually remember what the name of the song was. was it I've like got ha- Harumana. Harumana Bougainville. Yeah. By the Kit Kat Fleet Band. So, Kit Kat Fleet Band. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. Um, so, do you want to tell us, first of all, what, why you ended up in Papua New Guinea? Well, I went there uh, on holiday, originally, because uh, I was in Australia, and I thought I had some time to spend traveling and PNG is and kind of remains one of those places that is considered to be off the grid and a kind of final frontier so it's a nice place to go if you want to have an adventure and I thought I'd start off in Bougainville which is actually a part of the Solomon Island chain but during colonial days it got lumped in with the rest of PNG I thought I'd stay there for two weeks and then travel around the rest of the region but I ended up staying there for four months uh, and part of the reason is because of the things I was able to see and the things I could do and the people I met. Um, so as they said, you saw or took part sort of, I guess, in a menstruation ritual. So how did you get invited to that? So I was staying in a village called Torpino, which is uh, behind 
Aroa, which was a town built by Rio Tinto to house the workers in the Panguna copper mine. So Rio Tinto, just to tell everyone. Oh. Rio Tinto, just to tell everyone, is a mining company, which I wasn't aware of, but apparently the rest of the world knows about that. Yeah, it's a Good British, I think, it, I think it is a British uh, mining company. So they were running this mine, which was the cause of the civil war, actually, but that's kind of a different story. Um, so anyway, there I was in Torpina. I was staying in a community-run guest house with a guy called Bosco, Zon Bosco, who's an ornithologist. And he said, it's very rare that we have visitors here and the chief wants you to come to this feast that's coming up and bring your camera and film it because they were having a hard time recalling how these rituals should take place and they felt that if it was filmed it would be easier to pass on the tradition to future generations. So to document the the ritual. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a slightly less kind of uh, noble reason which was just that his son was at university about 300 miles away and so he wanted to be able to show it because it was his sister that was taking part in the ceremony. So there was that as well. But there's, there's, yeah, dual reasons. So what did the kind of menstruation um, pre-ceremony, I guess, involve? What does that involve? Yeah, so um, what was explained to me was that um, traditionally uh, when a girl started menstruating, she would be locked inside a, effectively a cage uh, inside a house that only her mother and her sisters would be allowed to go into and she would have to do um, everything there. Like she would sleep, eat poo, piss, everything. And it would all be taken out by her mother and her aunt. And uh, if for some reason people had to communicate with her, it would have to go through them and they would convey a message. So it was kind of this thing about isolating girls, which I think is is quite common in lots of different cultures. Um, but then one thing that seemed to be unique here was the diet that she was fed only this stuff called tamatama which is like a a pudding really made out of coconut and banana and cassava and it would just be riddled with these herbs that they took from the bush and these herbs played a part in the later ceremony but they are thought to have medicinal properties that help young women deal with blood loss and labor and these kind of things that will come later so is that something that you, you, they were supposed to have every time they had a period? Like every period they would eat this thing? Okay, so. yeah. So when it started, it was two months. So they would eat this every single day. They'd be washed in herbs every day. And when girls have their period or women have their period, they would also have a special diet. So it would just be mixed in with the usual kind of potato and yam. They'd also have... It was kind, it was kind of like a spinach. I had it fed to me. So it was just like greens, really. But they, they would say that they would have this once a month to help them. That's interesting that you were able to try it. So it's not something that only they can eat, but they were happy for you to give it a go. Yeah, so it wasn't like a kind of sacred fruit type situation. And they were, even though the rest of the men didn't really attend the, the ritual, they were present, but they kept themselves at a distance. So were they, they were, looking at it? Yeah, they were kind of looking at it, but they, they weren't really interested. So they were very kind of like nonchalant about it. Like they were happy for me to look at it, but they weren't interested. There's also a strange, well, not strange, I shouldn't say that, but there's, there's a, a, a custom by which a man cannot be really more than about 10 metres. Uh, it cannot be closer than 10 metres to his mother-in-law. So Ever. yeah, so when I was sitting down and chatting to people, I I just didn't pick up on this, but blokes would just stand up and just walk away from me mid-sentence, and it was because their mother-in-law would come in and sit down. So again, 
to relay a message, they would basically have to ask someone to walk up and approach and talk. And this is a sign of respect. Um, so what did the ceremony itself involve? Okay, so quickly, they built this kind of big column out of bamboo that was maybe, I want to say like 10 meters or 15 meters tall, so quite a tall thing, stuffed it full of coconut, sugar cane, yam, uh, these things called betel nut, which is something that they chew, and it has a slightly... Um, it's kind of a slightly euphoric effect if you eat a lot of it, but really it just makes you chat and chat and chat and chat and chat. <laughs> so you speak and what you do is you chew the nut and it makes you salivate and then you get a, a mustard seed. You dip that in lime, which is uh, burnt and crushed seashells, and that turns the spittle red and then you have a big like gummy red smile and you spit the red juice everywhere. Like red wine teeth. Like red wine teeth. Say more. And more orange. orange. Yeah, really vicious. More like... Blood. Yeah. It's more like someone's just chowed on a liver or something. It's it's quite vicious. And they all have these enormous machetes. So they're walking around with huge machetes with loads of blood. But they're very friendly people. Anyhow, so they have this massive column which they kind of erect. And from that column, there's a, a platform that runs forward. And that platform is where... Uh, people who've come for the ceremony will place their food and at the end of the ceremony a note is taken about how much food they brought and they will be given an equivalent amount of food when they return so it's kind of reciprocal so how much did you bring i offered <laughs> i offered about four kilograms of rice in return for that i received a live chicken Whoa. and two taro what did you do with the chicken i didn't see a chicken when you came back yeah, I didn't bring a chicken. <laughs> I, get, I just gave the chicken to my family. But I realised that the chicken had a gammy leg. So I don't know if that was a thing. It was like oh, a, so it's not worth as much as a fully I don't chicken. know. Maybe your rice wasn't really very good rice. No, I got two hugs from the old lady who was in charge. She was really happy. And they doused me in this herbal water. So that was quite a lot. That was quite like Catholic feeling. Like there was lots of holy water. Not, I mean, it wasn't holy water, but there was lots of dousing in water. Yeah. What was the atmosphere, machetes aside, maybe? What was the <laughs> atmosphere like? Did you feel like it was everyone was really happy or was yeah. it was there like a really serious undertone? Oh, no. So it was really. So what they do is they will start um, the ceremony will start at nightfall the night before. They stay up all night drinking, dancing and chewing. So <laughs> by the time the sun comes up, everybody it's kind of like being at a rave, like everybody is so Especially on the it. Chewing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> good um, so everyone is so on it they're so ready for the thing to begin you know they're just waiting so the difference is um these guys are kind of waiting for the the main event to happen when it happens um there is a contingent within the group of women whose job it is to play like the fool so as i was filming the ceremony they'd made these cardboard cameras and every time i was filming something there would be someone behind me like my shadow who'd be doing the same thing and every time i realized that and turned the camera towards her everyone would scream and they'd be super happy so there was this there was definitely an effort made to ensure that everything was really like elated and almost like kind of slightly hysterical. Like it was like people were going nuts when, especially when this lady was like grinding up to me and doing like lots of sexy stuff. It was just, it was a really big deal. And I asked them, was this just because I was there? And they were like, no, it's like an integral part of the ceremony that even though it's quite a serious thing for the girls, they have to feel like this is a happy, joyful thing. They're part of like this female community and it's not like this serious for boy foreboding thing and from your observation i'm assuming that you weren't able to speak to the girls directly and yeah. have that kind of contact but from your observations i mean can you did you get any kind of sense of 
maybe how they felt about things or how they looked kind of in themselves well so a lot of the ceremony there was one part where they had a big bamboo tube that they were pouring water on them and they were being washed by all of the women so there was like 200 people there so maybe it's just say half of them are women so they had maybe 20 close aunts and they were being touched and pulled and they were being fed food and they were having food rubbed in their face there were food fights and it was a big scrum so they looked petrified but mm. when the jesters were kind of doing their thing big smiles like super happy and you could you could tell that for them this was something really positive and they were really happy to do it but it, it the actual i think the physicality of it for them must have been pretty stressful like it didn't look like a pleasant thing being wrapped up like that but they definitely seemed like proud and happy and like they'd arrived basically but they must be quite young i mean pe people get their periods between 13 and 17 i guess so yeah so they i think they had a delay so this didn't happen bang on when they i think they were basically waiting to for kind of organization's sake they were waiting for a couple of girls to have that point and then also they would they combine the ceremony with a land distribution ceremony so actually i think they had their period maybe a year and a half ago okay so i think the girls were 15 and 16 the two mm -hmm. girls that were there um so so was that the function of it was a kind of land distribution thing as well or was that a separate part of the ceremony that was a separate part of the ceremony but the chief had just tony had just kind of said why don't we just put these two things together because then we can have a bigger party so the men were sort of not really involved at the first bit and then they were like oh it's land now so it's us taking over is that w w the kind of dynamics of it well then the women are the land owners in bougainville so they actually had to bestow power onto tony the chief and say you now have the right to tell people which part of the land they can have according to our wishes so that's it that's an, that was another really interesting aspect of bougainville society there are like 27 regions and there are two in which men are the landowners but everywhere else women own the land and the men act as their managers they basically direct the men and they say this is how we're going to use our land this is you can sell it you can give it away or whatever but the decision rests with the women and the sisters <coughs> did it seem like it was something that was kind of a strong continuous thing that's been happening there or is it something that's kind of dying out or what is it what did it seem to you well it i mean it definitely didn't seem like something that um was dying out i think quite the opposite was true because they'd had the civil war so for 10 years they basically hadn't been able to carry out these ceremonies so now especially for the chiefs in order to maintain their kind of prowess and their position it was really important that they were shown to be kind of guard custodians of these old cultures so they were very keen to really reignite them and get them going from what i could tell this um the, the way in which they're doing it, certain tropes like the platform, washing with the herbs, this is all stuff that has been going on, as they would say, since time immemorial, right? So they feel, and when you look in anthropological books, you know, from like the 30s and 40s, you, you read the accounts, it sounds pretty similar. But then this was only one region. So if you go 50 miles down the road, the the ceremony involves like a young girl climbing up a banana tree and she has to pick the topmost banana. Are you making at, this up or is this for No, you? no. Wow. So, so in, in, in all of the different regions on this island, which is maybe about the third of the size of England, each region, as well as having its own language and its own culture and all this kind of stuff, they obviously had their own ceremonies as well. So I, I only witnessed one. So this is, this is central. This is basically an Arawa tradition. So that's right in the centre of Bougainville. But it's not to say that this would be true all over the island. 
I think something that you said to us actually in the pub earlier that, that we found quite interesting was about so they're kind of retaining um, and maintaining these traditions, but they're also adapting it. So they haven't kind of completely kept to how it used to be. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's very true. So they obviously nowadays they realise that it's more important for the the young girl to go to school than to be locked up in a box. And I think they also realise that there's probably something inherently quite wrong with locking... Is that actually a box or just like a room? The way that it was described to me was it was compared to uh, like a pen like that they kept pigs in. So, I mean, but the thing is as well, all of the houses are made out of bamboo. So for us, it sounds dreadful, but it was probably it was probably just like a specially constructed house that looked very much like the houses they would live in. But, I mean, the men also go through a similar ritual. So the upe ritual involves young boys being taken into a house and they'll stay there from like six to 18 months. And they will pretty much do all of their business in a the house. They won't talk to women. So it, it mirrors what happens to young men and that's as well. Where, how do they pick their time, though? Because here it's based on when you start menstruating. How would they pick the male time? That I don't know. And and But, but you mentioned these two old ladies that they kept referring to to make sure they were sticking to tradition. I thought that was crucial to the ceremony yeah so there were two there were there were two much older women who had clearly survived through the crisis and seemed to be the the um they were directing the show basically they knew exactly what had to happen and when and if things weren't happening properly they would grab you know young men aside and say stop doing that and so they they yeah they certainly knew what was going on but obviously it was important to get a record of this and actually have a communal expression of it so that when these ladies pass on, there will be someone else who can bring up the next generation. I and guess. that you were filming that they've got that record there. Yeah, that's also good as well. And it seemed like for, for boys and girls then, it's a really important rite of passage mm. um, into adulthood. So I was wondering, yes, for everyone here present in the room, what do you think for you is your rite of passage into adulthood? What sort of made that transition for you? And also, do you feel like it was a clear-cut transition from for me, childhood to adulthood? Because no, I'm no. still in that transition, I Not think. Not at all. But... Is there any kind of single or a single rite of passage that you went through to make you feel like an adult? I feel like a lot of what we call rites of passages um, are things like, say, menstruation, which at one time would have just meant that you were an adult because you were physically capable of doing things. But it doesn't necessarily have a massive bearing on your emotional maturity at all. And I know that. Um, you know, loads of people when they start their period, their mum says like, "You're a woman now," and it's like, "Well, you're a twelve-year-old woman." <laughs> like, it's yeah. you know, that's ridiculous. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like those things, like you know, starting your period, it is a massive deal. Um, maybe we should mark it a bit more. I don't know whether having seen this ritual, that was something that maybe stood out for you because it's something that generally in your family you kind of don't talk about it's a bit embarrassing you share with your friends but it feels it is it is kind of it's a big deal to you personally um but other things than that I think it's more like having a degree of independence the first time you're allowed to go to the shop by yourself uh the first time you use public transport and then those kind of strange age markers like 16 17 18 21 seem to be really important yeah or I remember, like, right when I got to university, one of the history tutors said, um, 
Freshers' Week is a modern day rite of passage, and it's just something that you go through. And then I That's kind appalling. of looked in horror. This is like a fifty-year-old person who's worked in like modern Tudors all her life. Like it was very surprising. But what to does him. she mean by that? Sorry, what does she mean? Is by modern that, Tudors even a thing? I didn't study the Tudors. You know, Tudors, let's do modern modern history. I feel like what she means by that is, as well as a rite of passage, it's the idea that intrinsic to that there's some kind of like a hazing ritual so like being in a pen for a week or a few (laughs) months or having um you know like having to kill a lion with your bare hands or all of these things that happen around the world that did not Um, happen in freshers week (laughs) but like different cultures have these things like things you have to do um and then you know she's implying right you've got to go and prove that you can drink a certain amount stay up eat really disgusting kebabs and have a but terrible were, time but wishing you were reading a book in the that, library but you don't want to admit it that's the rite of passage but isn't maybe it? as well it's almost like maybe the freshers week is kind of establishing your next family in a way because it's you know you're on your own but you look at pictures of freshers week and none of those people are your friends so, so the thing about so the, <laughs> okay true. right okay true. good but so you put but you put you, you it's the first layer and then you move out out and out and out and out and you, find, yeah. you kind of slowly establish a group but if you don't go out and fresh you just won't meet people it's kind of like yeah. the time when you meet people so it's, it's almost like maybe it's just a bit tenuous <laughs> yeah no I, I do see that and university for me it has created my kind of London family like a lot yeah. of my London family are from university but is that what a rite right of passage is or is it not something about kind of within yourself like you've you've transitioned from mm. one stage to the next is yeah, it, I don't know. Is it about forming a family right around you? So, what's a real clear right of a right of passage? Is say like, first time you get drunk. Don't know. First yeah. time you marriage. First time you have sex. Probably. Yeah, first time you have sex for sure. That's definitely a right of passage. That really no? is, isn't it? I think yeah. first time you you do something that your parents see as being intrinsically adult. Like, so I think actually having a drink for a lot of people is a really important rite of passage. Your first pint in a pub. Mm. And we I never did that with my with my dad, but it was a really big deal for him to take my brother because he's old-fashioned and Irish or whatever, you know? Is it about your parents know? or is it about the community? I think that's what I was trying to get at with the family right, thing. Okay. Is it about your nuclear family or is a rite of passage something that generally is like an entrance into the community at large I feel like there needs to be an audience so like marriage baptism communion like all of these yeah all of these things that's a very public thing isn't it yeah Yeah. of making and freshers week you do have an audience even though the other audience the audience are participants also you're joining the 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 public of the university becoming a freemason lady captain my mum went to the freemason house this week (laughs) <laughs> the Freemason House. No, no, it's a, mu- it's a museum. Apparently, ah. you can book a tour, and you can even get free guided tours. It's in Hoburn, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like these things, yeah. Like you say, they're public things where you're kind of, it's recognizing your ex- acceptability. Yes, you can come and have a drink mm. with us because you're this age, and blah blah blah. But I think there are those personal things unique to any family situation or friendship group that also just kind of become, they kind of become organically things that um, you feel you have to do or are very special to your kind of network that maybe other people don't have, um, those kind of little family quirks. I do remember when I got my first period and I told my mum, she was like, can I tell my parents? It's so weird. Really? Yeah, they want to tell everyone. Don't care. Yeah, fine, great. Everyone should know. Did your grandparents call you? (laughs) No, I don't know. I don't know why they would be interested in that information. I think what about getting your first bra, like underwired or like whatever? Wait, what was that, Judy Bloom? 
Dear God, it's me, Margaret. Are you there, God? <laughs> Are you there, God? It's me, I Margaret. I must. I must. There's so much about bras in that book. Yeah, I do know, like, because I had a really embarrassing experience with my mum, actually, and she claims that this didn't happen. And I remember it so vividly being at my great aunt and uncle's um, wedding anniversary in Rotherham at a hotel. And it was just full of all these, like, elderly relatives. And someone saying to my mum, oh, she looks like she's um, getting grown up. And my mum just interpreting that as some kind of boob comment and being like she's a B cup <laughs> and I just absolutely my dad was there like my brother was there and they all just seemed to find it really hilarious but like your public property like your development yeah. is just something that your whole family I wants to talk about I can't think of like an equivalent for a guy because there's nothing always had this first maybe, maybe like, dream <laughs> yeah well so maybe or maybe uh, shaving actually yeah. shaving's a big thing that's, that's ritualistic you yeah. can get like nice shaving sets yeah. and presents and things like that and you can pass that information on like from dad to son yeah Although, like Absolutely. a lot of people can and it's very grow. public yeah. like did you people get shaving notice. tips from your dad um I, I, I always let my I had a really kind of like puby beard that I thought was <laughs> super super like cool and grungy so they, they were always just saying just shave you look awful you look awful and I was like oh no I'm gonna keep it going maybe so. that's a right of pastor, pastors like defying your parents yeah, yeah I guess you know kind yeah. of saying this is, you know, I'm going to stand up on my own and not do what I'm being told yeah, to do. Yeah, when I was... That's kind of a right of yeah, as well. Yes. Like, 16, I went off on a holiday with a friend and I didn't tell my dad that I was going to hitchhike. I guess that's when I was like, this is me being independent. And that was before I finished school, so that was earlier than going to university. For, I guess that's that's it for me. Yeah. yeah. Do, do either of you have, like, one moment like that where you can think of... I'm like, still waiting for my transition <laughs> I'm moment. I'm an adult. I'm still waiting. Yeah, I think it's when I did something that I thought I would never do. That just seemed yeah. like when you're an adult, you suddenly or you become you're becoming an adult. Like I remember there was a really clear period um, when I was like 14, 15, where I just used to always say, people who just get drunk all the time, they're so stupid. Like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> Alka pops, they're so stupid. I mean, you know, I like to have just a glass of wine and watch like you know documentaries with my parents like you know, think, I've got no think, life and then yeah. suddenly you're in your friend's car drinking a Smirnoff ice and you're going to go and break <laughs> into a local park and sit out there with your friends and get yeah. drunk and then get taken That's home at three in the morning you were a grown up. <laughs> and I was like I'm doing something that other people do and I'm doing it just for the fun of it rather than like and it's something that I never thought I'd want to do but it's that kind of like slightly reckless oh you know I'm actually like just admitting that I want to go and like hang out with everyone else. It seems mm. sort of backwards step, but I think that for me was when I just started kind of doing whatever the hell I wanted. I guess maybe getting a actual job. Yeah, like I was, I was gonna kind of say paying job. for things. And yeah, like kind of being able to pay my own rent and yeah. not being like, oh my God, I'm not, I mean, not that I can really do it that well, but you know, like that kind of thing. Mm. And like kind of living with people that I chose to live with and not in uni accommodation or anything and like paying Do you myself. know what? treating your parents that's I was going to say yeah. getting smashed with your parents and paying for everything like just take them out <laughs> for dinner I've had friends who've like paid for their parents holidays you know like oh, that is a I'm really so far like, away from that yeah. yeah I mean that's not going to happen to me but that's that's okay I don't need that right of passage <laughs> I can still you know I'll wait I'll wait a while for that Live without it. okay so I think that's all we've got time for because Emma loves Fiddler on the Roof and <laughs> I am going to play something um, tradition comes from the film Fiddler, film musical based on the book by Shalom Aleichem, um, which is, yeah, wonderful musical, Fiddler on the Roof. Um, and it's all about, well, at the beginning of the song, tradition is all about the traditions and rituals that happen in this town.
So take it away. That's bye from me. Bye. Bye. Oh, bye. Keep our balance. That I can tell you in one word. Tradition! This programme was brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. Visit our website at resonancefm.com to hear our vast range of original 24-7 broadcasts. Resonance is a not-for-profit broadcast platform and relies on public support. If you like what you've heard, make a secure donation at resonancefm.com.